So thinking about today, though, you can see on the screen this idea of summer love. That's the, that's the session we, or the, what's the word I'm looking for? The sermon series session. I don't know where that came from. The sermon series that we've been in uh, for the most of the summer. And, and usually we don't spend this much time in one passage. But this is week seven. We have a few more weeks coming uh, where we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. And so we've been breaking this down bit by bit. And why have we been doing that? Well, the way that we've thought about it and processed it is if God is love, and then Paul takes all this time in 1 Corinthians 13 to explain exactly what love is and all the little nuances of it, then it makes sense for us to spend a lot of time unpacking it and understanding what it actually means to love the way that God loves us. And so as he gives us these little snippets of love is or love isn't or does this or doesn't do this, we want to dig in and understand what that means. And so uh, we'll put the first couple of verses up here for you. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 5, this is where we've been for a few weeks. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Uh, it is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. And so there you can see in yellow, the focus of today is that love is not irritable. That's where we're going to be today. And, and I would say this, that I think this might be the thing on the list that is the easiest to overlook. It might be the easiest thing for us to say when we get into what love does and doesn't do. This might be the easiest one to just kind of go, yeah, but I have an excuse for that. And so this one, we, we can battle, and this, my guess would be, some of the things on this list, maybe you're like, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't really deal with this on a week-to-week basis. I might say that this idea of irritability, if you're like me, or, you know, it's today or this week or tomorrow, like, you're going to deal with this idea and have to process what it means to say, I'm not going to be I'm, or, uh, irritable, or I'm going to love in a way that is not irritable. In some translations, in some versions, you might see this, love is not easily angered. And so that's another way to look at this. Whether it's irritable or easily angered, that's what we're going to talk about today and kind of try and understand what love does with that idea. Now, why is this so difficult? Why is this something that we deal with so much? And I think one of the reasons is there's just some things that set us off, right? There's just some things. If you drive with somebody for the first time, you're going to learn what sets them off, right? Because there's certain times like things just happen and somebody cuts them off or somebody does something and the way that they respond is going to tell you, right, what gets under their skin. I, I am, I'm a person, I will vocalize when I'm angry in the car. I'm not quick to honk. For whatever reason, just the first like, you know, the 10 or 12 years that I first started to drive, right, all those times, I did, it just wasn't a habit. I've started to do it more, not out of anger, just to, like, communicate, right? That's what I tell myself anyway. And so, like, that, it became more, I became more aware of that. But you just understand it. I was listening to a podcast recently, and the person that was the host of the podcast was saying that they realized that they honk a lot. And so what they said was, well, really what they thought was they honk once or twice a week, they said, but I, I realize I'm, I'm a little quick. I'm a little, you know, road rage is a thing for me. I'm a little quick to do it. And as soon as they started to actually think about what they were doing and they wanted to stop doing it, they realized they, they basically honked the horn every day because they were realizing they were trying to stop doing it. And so they, they were like, he's like, now I'm down to one or two times a week. But you just, you process that. And there are just certain things 
Certain things people will do, whether you're in a car or not. Certain things people will say. Certain, certain faces people will make at you, right? Or certain ways that they interact. And it just sets you off. Someone else might look at that and go, oh, I didn't even notice, right? But for you, that's something that can get you. And I'm, I'm sure if we went around the room, there would just be those things that you understand and you know maybe get under your skin a little bit more. Here's the other thing I know is true. Those who are closest to us know how to push the right buttons, And so the people that you spend the most time with are going to be the ones who know exactly how to get you. This is what being a sibling is, right? Like you watch how your siblings react, and then you would, I would do this. I would put that in like my back pocket of my mind, right? And then at the best possible time, I would pull that back out right? And I just knew that it was going to set my brother off. My sister was 10 years younger, so I really didn't you know, mess with her, but my younger brother all the time. And so we would just get at each other because we knew exactly what would set each other off because we knew each other. We understood that and we saw it. And so this is part of the struggle, right? There are certain things we know we're going to set us off more than others. And then the people we spend the most time with know exactly what those are. And they can either help or hurt that. Right? They can either help that situation not to happen, or they can cause it to happen more often. And so when those people that are closest to us, it sets up, they know it sets us off and they do this, it can just become this spiral of, I'm dealing with the people that I'm around most, I'm dealing with the people that I care about most, but they're driving me insane. Right? You get into that cycle. Well, here's the thing, as we think about this idea of, of being not easily irritable or easily angered, I want to point out something that may be very obvious or maybe you've not thought about, but I think that this is true. Jesus very rarely showed anger. Now, if we think about it, if you've been in church for a while, you've been around church and been around scriptures for a while, I'm guessing that if we thought about when Jesus was angry, there's one passage that would come to 90% of our minds. And it's the time where Jesus got so mad, right? He flips tables over and makes a whip and goes after people right? That's not the typical Jesus we see. And if you haven't heard that story, the background is, right, people had to travel to Jerusalem to do their sacrifices. They had to be there, and so they had to buy animals once they got there to do the sacrifice, and people were inside the temple jacking up the price of those things that they were supposed to buy in order to be obedient to God. It's kind of like when Pastor Andrew just said he really likes stadium food. Maybe you really like it too, but your wallet doesn't, right? Because they've got you stuck in the stadium, and you have to pay more. That was the idea. They were taking advantage of people. And so when Jesus saw that, he saw people trying to do what God had called them to do. And then other people, the people that are higher ups that are running the temple, taking advantage of those people and charging them extra. And that made Jesus angry. But that's one of the rare occurrences. Every once in a while, we'll see him interact with Pharisees. We'll see him interact with the disciples. And they do something silly, or they say something dumb, or they try and get under his skin. And he will respond, and he'll say, something, it seems like maybe he's a little frustrated, but that's one of the only times that we see Jesus respond in anger. And so I think as we process what it means to be irritable, to be easily angered, we have to think about that through the lens of Jesus's life and really ask ourselves, what does it take for us to become angry? What does it take for us to be irritable? And how would, how does a loving person deal with that when it comes to the people around us?
The, the passage we're going to go to today as our main passage is, is James chapter 1. So if you want to go there, uh, you can follow along on the screens if you'd like. We'll have them up there. Uh, you can follow along in your own Bible or on your phone. Uh, if you'd like to, on the back of your Next Steps card, there's a little QR code. You can scan that. It's going to take you to our follow along tab for today. And if you've never checked that out, I would encourage you to. All the notes are there, the verses. You can ask a question. You can submit a prayer request. Uh, we would love for you to go there. But we're going to be in James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 19. And James, by the way, this is James, the brother of Jesus. Remember how I talked about siblings? You know, you get at each other. Imagine with your sibling being the most perfect person ever. How would that feel? Maybe you felt like your parents treated your siblings like that. But this was actually true. Like he couldn't get under Jesus' skin. So James says this, right? Remember, or understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Let's just pause, right? You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If we just pause there and took that one verse, I would say this. This is the recipe of a loving relationship. If we would all look at each other and say, you know what, I, I'm going to listen first. I'm going to do my best to listen, to hear you out, whether it's someone we love or even don't love, right? If it's someone we disagree with, we just say, I'm going sl- to be, be quick to just listen, to just let you say what you're going to say. I'm going to be slow to speak. What does that mean? It means not to just interject myself into the conversation. You ever find yourself listening, but you're really listening to think about your response? You're not really listening to what the person said. So you're quick to listen, you're slow to speak, and you're slow to become angry. Now there's another piece of this that as I was thinking about it just stood out to me. This is the only emotion that James says we should be slow to feel in this passage. If you're slow to become excited, that can be a good thing. If you're slow to, or you're quick to become excited, it's a good thing. If you're quick to become happy, that's a good thing. If you're quick to feel love for somebody, that could be a good thing. But he says, when you are quick to become angry, that starts on a bad trajectory. That's one thing that you don't want to feel and be quick to feel, and it will lead you to a place that you don't want to go. He goes on in verse 20. Very interesting to me too. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And then verse 21, he says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, the word God has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. So he says this human anger, this idea of being angry is not the thing that causes righteousness. And he says, be quick to change and understand. Let God's word have an impact on your life. Well, here's, here's what can happen in our culture. I think this can be true, right? I think that anger, seen as correctly directed, can be seen as a virtue. If, it, if our anger is directed in the right direction, it can be seen as a virtue. And I think this is true uh, in our culture. It might be true even in, in just Christianity. If you get angry at the wrong thing, people will pat you on the back. And if something happens and you just start to, you know, speak up against it, you make a post against it, or you whatever, it just makes you angry. If it's deemed as the correct direction and the right thing to get mad at, people will pat you on the back. Now, there are some things that, yes, they should make us angry. The, you know, sin should make us frustrated and upset, and we should deal with that. But think about what verse 20 just said. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So just in showing anger or being quick to become angry isn't always the answer, even though that's sometimes what we might be taught or what we, we might think is true. 
And then in verse 21, right? Get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Here's the other thing. Anger without action is a guise of righteousness. So if we just get angry, but there's no action taken, there's no righteousness brought about, there's nothing done about it, then we just look righteous without actually doing anything about the problem. We can hide things if we get angry at the right thing, but don't actually have to do anything about it. This is where virtue signaling can come in, right? We can get mad at all the right things and say it frustrates us and say we're not against or we're not for it, we're against it, and we have problems with it. And then if we do nothing about it, we didn't really do anything. We just got angry. We just got frustrated with it. And so when he says, right, get rid of all the filth and the evil, get rid of the bad stuff. Actually do something about the thing that frustrates you, that makes you angry. Get rid of it and allow God's word to change who you are. Anger can be something we hide behind. It can be something that looks like we're doing the right thing or an emotion that looks like we're in the right place. But if we don't actually do anything about it or we don't allow God's word to change our hearts, then we've missed it. And we're not actually doing what we're supposed to do or or, or changing what we're supposed to change. And so in those moments when we feel ourselves getting angry or we're trying to figure out what to do or somebody's telling us we should be angry, here's the question we have to ask. What does God say about this topic or this situation? What is God actually calling me to do? Here's what we know God is calling us to do. He's not calling us to be easily angry. And he's not calling us to be quick to get there. And he's not saying that our human anger is going to be the thing that fixes it. He says what's going to fix it is if we allow God's word to, to change our hearts. And so anytime that we find ourselves angry or frustrated, even if someone else would say that we are in the right place, we have to ask the question, what does God's word say about it? How has he taught us? What does Jesus' life look like? And then respond accordingly in those times. So here's, here's a question. As we process this and as we take that, we go, okay, we understand what God is saying about being easily angered, what God is saying about this irritability. What do I do with it on a day-to-day basis, right? What do, how do I change it? What, how, how do I actually put this into practice? And so we could ask this question, right? How does irritability take over? How do we get to the point where we just start down this path of being easily angered, being irritable? How do we get there? And what can we actually do about it? I want to teach us an acronym today that was taught to me Oh, I'm going to say sometime around my late teens, early 20s. I can't remember exactly when I was taught this. But this always helped me process what this means and how I understand this track of irritability or easily angeredness to come into my life. And so the acronym is HALT, okay? So there's four things we're going to put up here, and we're going to understand how this impacts our irritability and where we find ourselves when it comes to this topic. So the first thing on there is hungry, so the question is, are you hungry? Remember those commercials where it's like a weird person going crazy or something, and it's a Snickers commercial, and you're just supposed to like eat a Snick, you're not yourself when you're hungry, or whatever they say, right? And you get a Snickers bar, and it changes you. Have you, have you ever realized this? Like you find yourself, you get into a space where you just start to become frustrated, things are going wrong, and you don't understand why, and then you stop for a minute, you're like, oh, I haven't eaten for six hours. Like I skipped lunch, I haven't had a snack. Like what do I do about that? And all of a sudden, you eat something, and you feel 100% better, the world just seems to change in front of you. This happens all the time with children, right? They're freaking out. Things are going wrong. Moms always have snacks because they want to make sure, right, that you just hand a kid a snack. It changes everything. So we have to think about this. Am I hungry? If I'm walking down this path of irritability, if I'm finding myself in this place, am I hungry? 
Is there something I need to actually change there and just eat a meal or eat a snack or something like that? Here's the second one. Angry. So we're already talking about anger, right? But you realize the dominoes can start to fall. So if something has already frustrated you, has already made you angry or made me angry, guess what? It's just easier for the next one. It's like the fuse gets shortened. And so these dominoes start to go. And so we can realize, okay, something somebody did or something I couldn't control or something I could control already went wrong. And now I'm walking down this path and I'm already angry. And we can realize that that's going to lead us to a place to become more irritable. And this is especially true if you have something like this happen at work and then you walk into your house. So something frustrating goes on, your day didn't go the way you want it to, things just went wrong, and all of a sudden you walk into your house, and it's just easier for that to come out for the people that are around you who know how to push your buttons, right? Here's the third thing, lonely. You may not think about this one as much, but you could find yourself in a, in a different place, traveling, not around the same people, not in the same bed, missing the attention that you had from your spouse or from your mom and dad or from your siblings or whatever, right? And all of a sudden, that loneliness starts to just affect us, and and we become a little bit more irritable. That weighs on us, and we don't feel the same, and all of those things can catch up. And one of the times that I was being taught this and having this conversation was when we were going to go overseas on a mission trip. Or maybe we weren't overseas, we're to another continent. I think we were going to South America. And he said, listen, you're, you're going tra- to get on a plane ride for nine hours, and then you're going to be in a different continent, your parents aren't going to be around, and you're going to sleep in a bed that's not yours, and you're going to be around people that you're not normally around all the time, and you're just going to find yourself in maybe this place where you're lonely. And that's going to cause you to make decisions or to feel a certain way, and it's not going to lead you in the correct direction. Maybe you want to process those things. And then the last thing is simply this, you're tired. All of these things are are pieces that we can put together and say, if I feel these things, it's going to lead me down the path of irritability or easily angered. And I think that the tired piece is one of the ones that's the hardest to deal with. Because sometimes your sleep just gets interrupted, right? Maybe you have kids and they have a nightmare, right? And they come into your room and then they're in your bed and then it's just like your whole night is, you're, you're awake, right? Maybe there's thunder and your dog does not like thunder or they don't like fireworks. And so the Terry Hill fireworks go off at 10 o'clock last night. And so that was something that you had to deal with. And all of a sudden you realize this sleep pattern that I'm creating for the next day is not good. And sometimes you can control that. Sometimes you can't. But again, it's just down the line of these things start to creep in and they cause us to find a way to become irritable and more easily angered. So on a practical level, right, we can understand these things. No one's going to look at you and say, oh, you haven't eaten in eight hours? Tough, right? You're going to say, here's a Snickers bar, right? Feel better. Or go take a nap, maybe. These are, this is why I said this topic, this irritability piece, is maybe the easiest to find excuses for. Because everyone understands this. But at the same time, Paul says, don't be easily angered. There's a couple other things we can do with this, right? Sometimes with our emotions, uh, we can crockpot or instapot, depending on where you're at, uh, your frustration. And so maybe you put it away, right? You get frustrated by something, you get upset, and you just kind of push it down. You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to bring it up. It's not a big deal, blah, 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 blah. And then after a while, right, what happens when you put something in a crockpot and you're cooking it for hours? The person who walks into your house immediately will smell it, right? Especially if it's something good. 
The same thing happens with our frustration. Like if you're pushing something down and dealing with it and it's slowly getting to you, all the people around you can feel it. They know what's happening. And so eventually what's going to happen? This really works well in the Instapot because you have to flip that little thing and like the steam comes out, right? All of a sudden the thing blows up. And now what became a frustration for you that day that caused the problem was, and what happened yesterday and what happened last week and what happened last month. And all of a sudden, because we push it down and we, we want to keep it there and it gets worse. And so we don't have the conversation when we should have the conversation. We don't address the problem when we should address the problem. And that becomes worse. This one's interesting too. I think this is true. We, maybe I should say me, have whole conversations with the other person in your head. So as we're going to have the conversation we don't necessarily want to have, we also have their side of the conversation, right? So then when we go to have the conversation with them, we're more angry at them because of what we said they said in our head that they didn't actually say. You ever have that happen? And then all of a sudden it's like you get there and you're just frustrated and and we have that whole conversation. And that's not fair to the other person because they didn't say those things. We don't know what they're going to say. And yet, that can build up as a part of the crockpot or, or, or just having the conversation. And we realize we're causing a, this domino effect of, I start off tired, or I start off hungry, I start off lonely, and I get to the place where I'm already frustrated at you for what you didn't even say. And now I'm even eas- more easily irritable or easily angered. And so what do we do with this? Here's the first thing that I would say is prepare to face your own irritability. Prepare for that. Be ready for what you know is going to set you off. I read a book recently that was more so about understanding your work pattern over the day, but I think it applies to this too. And the way that they would teach this, or the way that the book taught this, and the author walked us through it, was that there are certain sections of your day where you are at your best, to do your best work or you're in the best mood. So some of us in this room, right, are, are early morning people. You love being up. If the sun's up, you're up. You're ready to go. You want to get ahead on the day. Some of us will, will not be that, right? We, we want to sleep in a little bit later and we would rather do work later in the day. We don't mind maybe working uh, an evening shift or something like that. We're just, we're better there. And so wherever you function, there's, that's called your green zone. Your best area to do your best work is your green zone, right? And then there's a yellow zone, and then there's a red zone. Here's what I'm going to say. If you can figure out the time of day that you are least productive and the most tired, it's probably also your most irritable part of the day. It's probably the part of the day where you're going to find yourself, that if somebody wrongs you at that time of the day, it's going to carry more weight than if somebody has a frustrating conversation with you in your green zone. Just because that's the time of day. So if you can figure that out and you understand, this is where I'm not the best, you can prepare for that. If you understand and you can process, I know this is when I'm going to be tired or when I'm going to be hungry, you know that's when you need a snack or you need to get another cup of coffee. If you can realize that you're going to be away from people for a week or you're going on vacation, you have to go on a work trip, or you know your spouse is going to be gone or whatever, like you can prepare for those things and prepare yourself for your irritability so that you know when it's coming. I get it. It's easy to say, I didn't understand that this was going to happen. And there are times, whether it's a major life event you didn't see coming, whether it's a sickness or a diagnosis, and all of a sudden you didn't see that coming and it has has wreaked havoc on your life. That's a different situation. But in the day-to-day, week-to-week, we can prepare for that. I want to go to one more verse today, super short. In Proverbs 19, verse 11, this is what it says. Sensible people control their temper 
They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Think about that. Sensible people control their temper. Maybe you've known somebody who's not good at that. Maybe you're the person who's not good at that, right? We react, we freak out, we explode, whatever that might be. Proverbs says sensible people can prepare for what's going to set them off so that they don't blow up. And then this one's interesting, that, that next sentence. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Now that doesn't mean that we overlook sin. It doesn't mean that we just allow bad things to happen and not care. But it means at times when we forgive people and we say, the wrong thing happened and I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to move past that. It's okay. I understand it. We actually see it and, and recognize it. We don't just ignore it and set it aside and let it crock pot. But we address it and say, we're going to move past it. That can be a positive thing. Um, when I was teaching, I think I may have told this story again before, but I don't remember when it was, so I'll tell it one more time. When I was teaching, I had a situation one day uh, where I had a student in the very back of my class who was on his cell phone. Now, the school rule was you weren't allowed to have your cell phone out unless it was in between classes or you were on a break or you were on lunch. Okay, so you're not in a classroom. You're not supposed to have it out unless a teacher specifically says you're allowed to have it out, okay? My classroom, the way it was set up was if I'm at the front of the room, the door was in the back corner, and the student that was on his phone was in this back corner, and he had his phone kind of down below the desk. So I didn't actually know that he was on his phone, but I had a teacher walk by in the hallway, look in the door, another teacher, not connected to our class, right? Look in the door and see him on his phone. She opens the door, pokes her head in, and goes, do you know he's on his phone? Now, first of all, I was a little bit like, I I, I like to understand rules, but I'm not the person who's going to step into somebody else's classroom and try and interact that way. So I was a little bit, like, annoyed that that happened, but I was like, okay. But I realized I had a, a decision to make in that moment. I thought either I can say, no, I didn't know that he had his phone, and immediately he's in trouble with that teacher, completely out of my hands. And I thought for a second, I thought if I could, if I lie and I say, yes, I knew it, then it at least allows me to have the conversation. So I lied. Okay. Your pastor lied. Right. And I said, yes, I know he's on his phone. Okay. Now listen, here's what was interesting. He and every kid in the room knew that. And they looked at me with their eyes like this, like you really just said that. Cause the other teacher was a lot older than me and like had a little more authority, but I still did it anyway. And so they, they just realized everybody realized what was going on. So anyway, we get a few minutes later, the class ends And that student looks at me, and I just kind of gave him one of these, right? So he comes up to me, and I said, I saved you once. I'm not going to do it again. Don't have your phone out. And he goes, okay, nope, won't do it. I'm done. I'm like, okay. Rest of the class, rest of the semester, whatever, no problem. Never did it again. And here's what happened. That student graduated uh, that year. And so his parents came up to me at graduation and said, we just wanted to meet you. Tim always talked about you. I don't think Tim said five words in my class, but he said what you taught and the topics and we had conversation, whatever. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect in this area. All I'm saying is that one time I overlooked that first wrong. I addressed it, made sure that we understood how we were going to move forward and it wasn't a problem anymore. I wasn't frustrated at him. He wasn't upset at me. We, we had a great relationship because of it. Why? Because when you, you can earn respect by overlooking wrongs in the right scenarios. I wasn't quick to get, I wasn't angry at him, right? But I was firm. 
I was the authority in the room. I said, hey, this is what's going to happen. I said, okay. So it's not overlooking things just to overlook things and set them aside and allow people to go down a wrong path. But it is overlooking them to build the relationship. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Here's what I would say. This is what I want us to understand. My irritability and my response are on me. My irritability, when I get upset, when I'm easily angered, when I need a Snickers bar, that's on me, okay? So is my response when I'm irritable. So when I'm feeling this way, the way that I respond to the people around me, that's on me. It's easy. I'm, I'm sorry I treated you that way. I was hungry. What did you really just say? You kind of just said, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but I had an excuse, right? It's kind of in a pot. It's like a halfway. I'm sorry I did that. I was tired. It's, you see what I'm saying? Like just saying, I'm sorry I realized what I did was wrong and not saying anything else. That's an apology. Saying I won't do that again, right? They're on us. We have to take responsibility for those moments. And we've asked this question over and over again. And we've said, what does love require of me when I am irritable, when I realize I'm easily angered, when I'm in a situation where I am hungry, I am tired, I am lonely, I am already angry. How do I respond? What does love require of me? And I would say these two things as we wrap up our conversation today. First of all, instead of responding emotionally, react intentionally. Instead of responding emotionally, right? Instead of being quick to get there. Remember what James said? Slow to speak slow to become angry. If we, react, if we react emotionally, what can happen is we just blow up. But if we react intentionally, that moves us in a positive direction. When I reacted intentionally with Tim, it moved us in a positive direction. So work on that. Understand, how do I want to react to this? How do I want to build this? How do I make sure I'm going in the right direction? And I would say this too, lastly, that love chooses relationship over rivalry. Think about if you've ever been on, on a team and you had a rival team. You wanted to beat them. Now, if you won by like one touchdown or one score or whatever, it's like, okay, good, we beat them. What do you really want to do when you have a rivalry? You want to just pound them in the ground, right? You want to you distance yourself on the scoreboard as far as you can from them just to show them who's boss, right? We can do the same thing in our relationships. We can want to, in those irritable moments when you're feeling it, you want, and you're like, I'm frustrated. I want them to be frustrated too. You can just dig into them. Make them deal with it. Put it on them. Frustrate them. Push their buttons because you know how to, right? But love chooses to build that relationship over distancing. I, I realized this. I was in a, in a store the other day. And I was, at, I was uh, at like a customer service desk and there was somebody in front of me and she was clearly upset. She had two young boys with her and she was just clearly done. Like I think summer vacation was not going well for her. And, you know, she was interacting with the customer service rep about her kids and saying some things that I was a little bit like, ah. because the boys were hearing her and they were realizing that mom's talking to a, a total stranger about how frustrated she is with us. I just thought that's not building the relationship, right? It, it's causing division. It's causing 
it's, it's making the decision to say, I'm going to allow my irritability, my frustration to overflow and just enough that I'm going to tell somebody I don't know how frustrated you're making me at this moment. That's not choosing the relationship. It's choosing to build distance and to almost, you know, treat them as a rival. Like their, her day has to go better than theirs or theirs is frustrating her or whatever, right? Puts you at odds with that person. When we get to these moments, we have to decide what's, what's the best way to build the relationship. And in some of those moments, especially when irritability is high, easily anger is high, circumstances aren't good, it's been a long day, all that stuff, it is a choice to say, I'm going to interact in a loving way. Now, here's the other side of it, too. It is also loving when somebody says to you, I need a break I need a, a snack. I need to step away for a minute. I need to just process. Just give me a minute, right, to do this so that I can react well. It's also loving on the other end of that to go, okay, I'm going to give you that space, right? And say, I- I'm going to allow you to take that so that we together can build the relationship that we have. And so we choose. We choose to build the relationship over the rivalry. Go back to what I said about Jesus just for a second, right? He hardly shows anger. And I don't think God deals with us out of anger. We make him angry, I'm sure, right? We make mistakes, we do the wrong thing over and over and over and over again. And yet he still says, you are welcome to come to me like one of my children. He chooses the relationship over choosing the distance. He could have decided to put us at arm's length and keep us there. Instead, what he decided to do was build the relationship. I think that's what we're called to do. This is gonna this is gonna show up, and sometimes what happens is, especially for me as a preacher, right? I teach this, and then like three hours from now, I'm gonna have to deal with it, right? It just happens. It shows up. It's on my radar. Then I have to think about what what goes on, right? How am I gonna respond? And we have to choose to build the relationship, do the loving thing, see your irritability, address it, be ready for it, take responsibility for it, and then build the relationship with those around us. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you uh, did not simply say, uh, I am love, and then just not explain it. That you gave us this, like Pastor Andrew said last week, this diamond with all the different facets that we get to look at and understand what your love means. And and this idea of irritability or being easy to anger, uh, like I said, I think it's the easiest one to find an excuse for. It's the easiest one to just say, well, I had a reason, so it's okay. And yet you say that love doesn't do that. And so I ask that when these things show up, whether it's those of us who have young kids or even grown kids that are making bad decisions or we're, you know, husbands, wives, co-workers, teammates, whatever it is, when there's that person that just knows, they know how to press our buttons. They know how to get under our skin. They know the worst time of day to show up and have that conversation. I ask that you would give us the strength and the ability to say, I'm going to take responsibility for my own irritability, for my own response to this, and I'm going to respond in a loving way that builds the relationship rather than puts somebody at arm's length. And I ask that that would be clear, that your spirit would move in us in those moments, and we would be able to make those decisions well. In Jesus' name, amen.